Today's reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10a, and can be found on page 1222 of the Blue Church Bibles in front of you. False teachers and their destruction. But there was also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment, while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, we pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll do sit down and come back to that passage that Mandy just read for us. uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks and you weren't familiar with 2 Peter, you probably weren't expecting to hear the words you just did. Uh, The first chapter of uh, Peter that we've taken two weeks over is an incredibly encouraging message. Let's just remind ourselves of it. Uh, Look back at uh, verse 3 of chapter 1. Our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, his divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter is a preacher of Jesus Christ. He was an eyewitness of him, and we saw that uh, last week. Uh, He was with him, heard his teaching, saw his miracles, was commissioned by him to be one of those foundational apostles who would preserve Jesus' message and allow it to be proclaimed with power uh, until Jesus came again. And Jesus' return, a particular burden of Peter's message uh, within this letter. And Peter has been saying, God in his grace and his power has revealed himself to us, lost and sinful people, 
and done everything necessary to bring us home that we might be forgiven and restored. He has given us everything we need for eternal life, that is to know God in this world and in the next, and godliness, his present power by his Holy Spirit to transform us that we might actually begin to live for Jesus, to add to our faith goodness and self-control and ultimately love as we've been seeing. Peter has been saying to us that we must not forget, we thought of that last week, didn't we, those great truths of who Jesus is and therefore who we are in him. And the means by which we may remember are the Holy Scriptures the eyewitness testimony of the apostles uh, that is crystallized for us in the 27 books of the New Testament and the prophets who were borne along by uh, the Holy Spirit, God himself giving them their words uh, and that, uh, as it were, being the, uh, the headline for the 39 books of what we call the Old Testament. God has given us his word that we might know his grace and knowing his grace might turn to Jesus Christ and find everlasting life and present power to begin to live for him. Well, that's been Peter's message to us over the first couple of weeks of this letter. And then it's fair to say, I think, that he changes tone as he comes in to this second chapter. But he doesn't change his main point. There's a, an implicit link between chapter 1 and chapter 2 that I think we need uh, to draw out because uh, the way in which God uh, strengthens us by his word, the Old and New Testaments, uh, reminds us uh, that we have everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ it is as his word is taught to us. Now, it is right, and I've been encouraging this, uh, that we must, of course, read God's word ourselves if we're able to do so. I was talking to a man last week after the service uh, who struggled with reading. So it isn't that uh, we have to be able to read in order to know God's grace, but we do have to be able to hear that message. And if we can't read it for ourselves, uh, then all of us join in every week when we gather in being taught God's word. And that has always been uh, God's intention. Paul says that uh, God gifts by his Holy Spirit teachers and pastors to the church. Not that we might bring our own message, but that we might bring to you what is here. And that as we hear together what God says to us, so we are strengthened in our faith. And so the church has always had teachers. The trouble is, and this is the link into chapter 2, just as there were also false prophets among the people, so there will also be false teachers among you. Peter passes over introducing positive teachers. He doesn't have anything to say about them. Presumably they're just meant to get on with their job. But the church will be troubled, he says, by false teachers coming. Those who come purportedly in the name of Jesus Christ and bring a message that twists the gospel and that is not the truth at all. It had always been true in human experience that precious things are those which end up being forged. I remember many years ago when I worked in a shop and my manager taught me how to examine a note. One held it up to the light out of the shop window to see the, the, uh, the watermark and the, uh, the thin metal strip running through it. And we had one of those little lights uh, beside the cash register where we could tell uh, from the way it responded to that light uh, whether it was genuine. 
Now, we didn't have any machinery for testing the genuineness of one penny pieces. Because why would you bother forging something which is of little value? You only bother forging uh, that which has great value. Notes in our currency. And uh, I do remember the occasion when one man, uh, when I gave him a a note in his change, uh, looked at me rather derisively and held up the note to see whether I'd given him uh, a genuine one. We want to know that when we're given something of value, it is genuine. And we take great care to make sure uh, that our notes are genuine, that those things that are precious to us are the real deal. Well, how much more so the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And true teachers, uh, not mentioned here, are meant to be those who simply take from the scriptures. And remember we thought last week about how when the scripture is given, it's not a matter of private interpretation. It's not a matter of me standing up here and saying, well, uh, Peter says this, but actually I interpret it this way and that's what you should believe. Uh, No, if I'm doing my job properly, you shouldn't really notice me at all because all I will do is take from here such that you can hear it and in hearing it, believe it and in believing it, obey what God's word says to us. The trouble is, some teachers like to get in the way. Some teachers like to bring their own unique interpretations. Some teachers will twist the gospel message, and that has been so ever since the beginning. There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. False teachers in the Christian church are an inevitability. That may seem a shocking thing to say to us, but... Uh, 2,000 years of church history has proven Peter right. Uh, Indeed, uh, the New Testament was written largely to counter false teaching. Many of Paul's letters uh, explicitly arose uh, because he had heard that uh, the pure gospel that he had preached had begun to be corrupted by false teachers coming in. And so a letter comes uh, from the pen of uh, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, and indeed all three of the letters of the Apostle John, in order to correct false teaching. So the New Testament itself is largely uh, arises because of uh, corruption to the Christian gospel. Now, the same thing happens uh, around the 4th century, uh, a century or two either side of that, as the creeds were developed, the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. They arose to counter false teaching. Men standing up and saying, I want you to believe this in Jesus' name. But then what they said next was not what Jesus taught, or his apostles bore eyewitness testimony to, or what the prophets had been given by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times. It was rather their own message, a corruption of what had been revealed. One of my favorite characters in church history uh, is Athanasius. He was bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century, and he was banished from his diocese over his long ministry five times, sometimes uh, for several years at a stretch. And in those days, the vast majority of bishops uh, did not believe the gospel. They did not believe that Jesus was, in Peter's words, our God and Savior. They believed that Jesus was a creation of God, that he was not truly uh, the Lord come among us, the word made flesh. Uh, The Roman Empire uh, had been vaguely Christianized, but the Caesar himself uh, had surrendered to this heresy. It was called uh, Arianism in those days. 
And so the vast majority of the bishops, the emperor himself, uh, denied the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ, all while claiming to be a Christian society. And Athanasius and just a few other teachers stood firm. Athanasius gave us his famous motto, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the whole world, such that it seemed that false teaching had become the dominant voice, even in the professing church. So we think things are bad in the Church of England. We know nothing when we look at Athanasius. Take heart, brothers and sisters. There has always been false teaching. Peter warned us of it. The New Testament crystallizes in the face of it. And many times in the experience of the 20 centuries of the Christian church, it seemed as though truth was on its last legs. And then God preserves a remnant, renews the glory of his name. And the false teachers fall away as dust, unremembered by history, and facing over only the awful judgment of God, as the apostle warns us here. So don't lose heart when you hear of false teaching within the professing Christian church. As a general rule, don't leave denominations just because they contain false teachers. They always have, and they always will. And the history of splits, and depending on how you count them, there are something between seven and 25,000 Protestant denominations in the Western world. The history of splits suggests that when a split is formed out of a desire to preserve truth, a noble desire to preserve true teaching, then usually within a generation or two, the false teaching is caught up with those who left. And that new grouping begins to fall apart and deny the Lord as well. So whatever we do about false teaching, and we must take it seriously, incredibly seriously, given what Peter says here. Let's not resort to abandonment and certainly let us not give in to despair. There will be false teachers among us. They will be bishops and clergy. They have always been with us and they will be until the end of time. Well, what will they do? Uh, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Uh, It may help you to understand uh, just how they do this if I tell you that the word heresy uh, simply means, in its uh, literal uh, um, sense, uh, an opinion. Uh, So heresy has come to mean uh, that which is tainted and wrong, uh, but actually it just means opinions. So you can imagine the dialogue that went on uh, in the synod meeting in the first century. Uh, There is an orthodox teacher who says, Jesus Christ is God come among us in the flesh, who died for our sins on the cross. You must believe in him in order to have eternal life. Uh, And then comes another teacher, similarly dressed, appropriately styled, uh, legally and lawfully called. And he says, well, I understand what you're saying, and I know many people believe that, But actually, you know, in my opinion, uh, I don't think we can really take all that supernatural stuff uh, so seriously anymore. Jesus was a good teacher, and we should follow him as our great moral example. Or perhaps twisting it in another way, uh, more likely, both in the first century and today. Well, yes, Jesus promises great blessings, but you know what? We can have them now. You don't have to wait until heaven. If only you follow me in my ministry and preferably make sure that it's financially well rewarded, I'll say a special prayer and you will have blessing 
in this life, not just in the age to come. And all that talk of sin and repentance and judgment, it's a bit scary and old-fashioned, so let's leave that to one side. And we'll just talk about God's love. After all, we all agree God loves us, don't we? Let's just talk about love and blessing and plenty and prosperity now and we'll marginalize this awkward preacher from Nazareth. That's what false teachers have always done. They did it then, they do it today. And they'll say, you have your opinion and I have mine. After all, it's about choice, isn't it? What a world in which we're ready to be led astray by false teaching that so raises to sovereign power human choice. That's how they can get away with secretly introducing it. They do it quite plainly, and yet it's done subtly. And yet isn't it exactly what Jesus warned us of? Watch out for false prophets. They come to you, he says, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. False teachers don't come with a badge on them that says false teacher. They don't come with a wolf's outfit, even though that is inwardly what they are. Jesus warned us that they would come looking like sheep, innocent and genuine. And yet inwardly, they would be ferocious, that is, seeking to devour you uh, in their desire, in their greedy desires. Well, Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus warned that false teachers would come. And they would come speaking in his name. They would come with a remarkable spiritual CV, uh, miracles and driving out demons, uh, great prophecy, great words of uh, power. And yet, Jesus says, they did not do the will of my Father. That is, they disobeyed the word where the Father's will has been revealed. And most tellingly of all, Jesus says of them, I never knew you. These who come as false teachers have never known Jesus Christ. They've never humbled themselves before him, trusted him for their own salvation. They come trusting in themselves with their own message. No, Peter warns us. Jesus warns us. History teaches us to beware of false teachers. Again, we ask, how do they get away with it? Well, Peter tells us about the false prophets uh, of the Old Testament days. Let me give you an example from one of those. This is Jeremiah 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Uh, Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? How do false teachers get away with it today? 
For the same reason that false prophets got away with it under the Old Testament at times. Because they tell people what they want to hear. You can have peace with God without repenting from your sins. Cherish all the things that you love, even though you know they dishonor the Lord. And the false teacher will say, bless you from heaven itself. They will bring you hope without humility. They fill you with false hopes. We all need hope. Uh, We all know, uh, if we're honest, just how desperate things are. But to have hope that can be bolted on to my pride, well, then that message always finds a willing audience and a ready response. It's been striking, hasn't it, looking at uh, President Trump's inauguration this week, how uh, the inauguration of an American president always involves a great flock of clergy coming and saying uh, all these uh, prayers for him. Gosh, the man needs our prayers, and we certainly should be praying for him. But on the one hand, in his own testimony, Trump says, I read the Bible more than anyone else, and I never need to confess or forgive anybody else and if you read the bible and your conclusion is you never need to repent or to forgive anybody else i wonder which bible you've been reading one of those ministers who led a prayer uh, said that trump was certainly a christian that he'd made his own uh, profession of faith but his public testimony is that he has nothing to be forgiven for And his public morality, well, that's become a byword, hasn't it, for uh, disgraceful immorality. And he's surrounded himself with those who will tell him he's got peace with God, even though there is no need for repentance, that he can have hope without (laughs) humility. The false teachers are around us, and we've seen some of them on the television just in this last week, broadcast to the billions around the world. Well, even these who introduce destructive heresies deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. Uh, Jesus is Lord and God, that's what Peter's been saying, uh, and yet these false teachers, they want to make space for another to be sovereign themselves, perhaps, or another religious path. But Jesus, in his full-orbed glory, is never compatible with what they teach And so they will find a way to marginalize uh, that New Testament central uh, revelation. They deny the sovereign Lord even though he bought them. A reference to that great love of the Lord Jesus uh, in dying for our sins on the cross. Uh, They are so heartless that they can brazenly uh, speak a word that will make themselves look great even at the same time uh, as bringing low the Lord in his death on the cross for them. Perhaps there's a reference here uh, to what becomes a very dominant theme uh, within this chapter, that alongside false teaching always comes false living, uh, particularly uh, sexual immorality. Uh, Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy, Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought, same word, Uh, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Having unshackled themselves from the restrictions of the biblical revelation, they also unshackle themselves uh, from its moral consequences. Well, they appear sleek and successful. The reality, though, here's the first warning, is that they are bringing swift destruction upon themselves. 
Again, it's exactly what Jesus warned, isn't it, in the Sermon on the Mount. Or later, in his great parable of the sheep and the goats, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, the warning of judgment to come is clear. Look at their dangerous activity. Verse 2, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these false teachers, these teachers will exploit you. And I was doing a bit of uh, research for this uh, talk this week and uh, looking for some examples. It only took me about two minutes before I found those who brought the way of truth into disrepute. One of the things you can find very easily uh, is a list of the top ten wealthiest televangelists, a list of their private jets, their enormous mansions, manuscripts of their talks in which they promise that if you send them money, God will send you present material blessing. Not just one or two in obscurity, but dozens of them leading megachurches. Though many follow their shameful ways. And, of course, bring the way of truth itself into disrepute for those who have been scarred by false teaching are very hard, indeed, to reach with true teaching. And those uh, skeptics who watch the Christian church and see our false teachers, how much harder it is then for us to commend Christ to them. Well, I want to contrast that with the biblical message. Just to give an example of the way in which we preach about money. That's one of the common themes of these false teachers, both then and now. Uh, and the greed is particularly mentioned by Peter here. You see, I hope that you will give to this church if you're a member of it. I've said that many times. That would not be a surprise to you. And the Bible says that if we give generously, well, then there is a spiritual blessing in that. A blessing that accompanies obedience and generosity But it is not a material blessing. It will not be to your financial advantage if you give generously to this church. For example, say you give £300 a month uh, to church. Instead of putting that towards a new car, well, a new car will not materialize on your driveway. Those false teachers who uh, bring this prosperity gospel, as it's called, that's their promise. It won't even be the £300 a month car. If you give £300 a month to my ministry, you'll get a £600 a month car arriving on your driveway. It's that crass, and it's that widespread. Uh, No, if you give £300 a month to the church, you'll be £300 a month poorer. That's what it means. You won't have that £300 anymore, but you will find that the Lord will sustain you. You will discover his faithfulness. He'll help you eke out the life of the old car. Uh, He uh, will provide for his children always. He's no man's debtor. Now, he honors those who honor him, but not in crass, present, material ways. Now, you can see, can't you, how their message is somewhat more popular, at least until it proves false, at which point... Uh, All of Christianity uh, is rejected as a sham. They bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. There's the second warning. 
contrast, notice there, uh, between stories they have made up and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. We saw that last time. Look at chapter 1 here again, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories, says Peter. Now we know why he's writing like that when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These false teachers, they invent wonderful stories. They're not true. Uh, They purport to be about the Lord Jesus, doubtless, uh, in order to justify some element uh, of their false teaching. But the difference between true teachers and false teachers uh, is that a true teacher takes out of what God's word says and brings it plainly to you. Uh, The false teacher adds to it, changes it, supplements it, uh, and does so in such a way as to justify their greedy, exploitative, man-pleasing narrative, which may work well for a few years on earth, but come the day of judgment will prove to be a very foolish decision indeed. No, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Perhaps I can illustrate that uh, again. And uh, for those of you who are looking at the passage and becoming alarmed, I'm only going to go as far as verse 3 today. Uh, We're going to pick up the rest of 2 Peter 2 in uh, three weeks' time. So don't be alarmed. Uh, This will come to an end. Uh, But I do just want to give this uh, an illustration just because it happened to me this week. Uh, And it's uh, hopefully uh, a... a, um, sort of illustration that's not too contentious, uh, but I hope begins to make the point. Uh, When we met as our deanery chapter uh, this week, we were sharing uh, resources uh, for what we would be using uh, for those who have particular Lent programs uh, in Lent and Holy Week and Easter. And one of my fellow clergy uh, brought along uh, a series of depictions of uh, the Passion narrative, uh, and uh, they were going to use it in their church uh, around the Stations of the Cross. You'll know that's a, a common practice uh, in uh, Catholic churches and more high churches uh, in the Church of England. And as we were looking at these uh, pictures, uh, I noticed that one of them uh, included Veronica. And uh, if you uh, know about Veronica, you will not know about her from the New Testament. Uh, She was invented uh, sometime around the 5th century AD. Uh, She was venerated from about the 11th century AD. uh, And uh, a great stress was placed on her in the 15th and 16th centuries. If you go to the Vatican in Rome, there's an enormous statue of St. Veronica uh, there. And uh, when the Stations of the Cross, uh, in uh, the ways they're often used, uh, you will see one of them has Veronica. And she has a cloth, and she places it over Jesus' face. And what comes on the cloth, miraculously, is a true image of the Savior. So uh, within these uh, pictures, uh, there was truth mingled with imagination. And I was trying to explain uh, fruitlessly, so that's why I'm trying with you. Uh, It was fruitless to my fellow clergy, let me try it with you, uh, that there was great danger in mingling that which was of the eyewitness testimony, which we have in the New Testament, from those who saw and heard and gave us their word, that we might have a firm foundation for our faith, mingling that with stories that have been made up, and that are demonstrably made up. Uh, You can read in the official uh, account of the saints, I looked it up in the Oxford Dictionary of Saints, uh, Veronica is recognized by every serious scholar as an absolute myth. 
She never existed. In fact, her name uh, means literally true image. The name was constructed uh, to give some credence to a bit of cloth that apparently had Jesus' face on it. So they needed to invent a character who was supposed to have been the one who created the cloth. It's all myths. And when you look back at the history of the myths, uh, less so today, uh, well, then those um, uh, relics, as they're called, uh, were usually uh, fundraising uh, mechanisms for the corrupt medieval church. Uh, look, we have an image of the Saviour here. Give us some money so that we can take it around so other people can see it. We better invent somebody who created the image. Let's call her Veronica. And now we can have a picture of her in our stations of the cross. Don't you see how dangerous that is? Our faith is grounded not on stories that have been made up. And when we begin to add made-up stories to the eyewitness testimony, then the way of truth is brought into disrepute. And what thoughtful person uh, will put their trust uh, in the gospel we're sharing with them if it is so clearly a mixture of truth and imagination, of eyewitness evidence and cleverly invented story? And so, friends, What we are committed to here is everything in God's word and nothing more than God's word. It doesn't mean that there aren't historical insights we can glean in the 20 centuries of thinking theologically. It doesn't mean that there are not lots of great accounts of faithfulness through the history of the church that will strengthen and encourage us. But our faith is grounded in the scriptures. For the Holy Spirit bore the men of old along as they brought God's word. And its message of hope and life and its warning of holiness and judgment. And the men of old who witnessed the Lord Jesus in his teaching and his death for our sins. Where he brought us back that we might belong to him as our sovereign master alone. Their eyewitness testimony, faithfully recorded for us, perfectly recorded for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, that is our solid rock. So when you hear someone saying, well, yes, I know that's the old ways, but have you heard this new opinion? Oh, I know Peter and Paul said that, but, you know, we can't really take their words seriously today. What about the insights of modern science or modern psychology? Well then, picture in your mind the wolf just trying to sneak out from the zip in the sheep's outfit. Because that is what is going on. Those are false teachers. Do not hear them, they will destroy you. But what is coming, Peter warns them twice, is that strift destruction will come on them, for their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that you are the God of truth, that your word is truth, your son is the truth, your spirit leads us into all truth. And so please would you guard us from false teaching. We confess that we like to hear it We don't like to hear of you as a judge. We like messages that are hopeful and full of love and that say little of repentance or the need for true godliness. Father, we pray for the church in this land and around the world.
that you would guard her from heresy, that you would lead her in the way of truth, that you would reveal the emptiness of those who preach a different gospel. Father, we pray these things, not uh, that we might win arguments or create divisions, but that your name might be truly glorified. For your Son is the sovereign Lord who has bought us with his own blood. And so please would you grant to us true repentance, deep humility, a fullness of your Holy Spirit, that we may cry out to you, Lord, save us, and Lord, lead us. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.